This is Recovery Revolution Live. The episode you're about to listen to is live and unedited. If you'd like to join us on the live stream, you can find us on Facebook and YouTube. Facebook.com slash Recovery Revolution 100 or search Recovery Revolution Live on YouTube. I'm going to find intro music that you like one day, Ashley, and I don't know if this is going to be it, but I'm going to find it. Oh, we lost Ashley. I was playing this intro music just for her to see what she liked. You you probably pissed her off, dude. I guess I'm listening still. I just was putting my hair up and you put me on the screen, so I just turned the camera off for a second. (laughs) Hey, we got a 30-second intro. We're tight. We're tight here at Recovery Revolution Live. There's no time for hair and makeup you gotta do that before the stream yeah we're on a strict timeline here we were organized we're (laughs) we're not organized we're extremely organized and we are joined tonight we have two guests we have Brittany and john welcome everybody we got jr our fearless leader hanging out in the in a cave in south carolina glad to be here we got Ashley Grimes, AG in the house. And um, at some point, Jason's going to join us whenever he uh, whenever he makes it home. We can't forget Brett. Brett's here with us, too. I am here. What do we think of the intro music? Ashley, are you liking it? Not liking it? You still haven't given me any clues of like what kind of music you like. I feel like this is an ongoing thing at this point of like I what think kind she's of music. country western. Country western. She's from Texas. You gotta remember, she grew up in Texas. I did not. No, she lived there for a few years. She didn't Correct. grow up there. Oh. Oh, Heather. Heather is enjoying the music. Well, if Heather likes it, then I like it. So we'll go with that. And per Heather's request, I got the bell. <laughs> I'm ready. All right. So let's let our guests tell us a little bit about themselves. Who wants to go first? Brittany, John? I mean, I can go first if you would like me to. Sure. Okay. Well, my name is Brittany, and um, I am here in, in Missouri, and or Springfield, Missouri is where I'm from. And I am a family member who has uh, loved ones with um, substance use disorders. So I work with families who have um, loved ones as well who have substance use disorders. And um, I am a behavioral health coach, a family recovery coach, and I'm trained in um, the invitation to change approach and um, craft as well, community reinforcement and family training. And I'm also trained in um, smart recovery family and friends. And I volunteer at my local uh, Springfield Recovery Community Center. And I work with families who have loved ones with substance use. Um, I run the Invitation to Change program there, which is a alternative to the traditional um, Al-Anon. And one of the big um, differences of Invitation to Change and CRAFT, which they go hand in hand, is that uh, this kind of allows families to help 
a person with a substance use disorder, which is kind of the opposite of what we hear in um, Al-Anon and um, really in our society, that's kind of the opposite we hear. We hear a lot of times you have to let them hit rock bottom. There's nothing you can do to help. And so my goal is to um, educate uh, the community, my community and um, our abroad to that there's more, there's more options that families can help and that people do recover and that you don't have to just allow your a loved one to hit rock bottom and that there's skills and strategies based on evidence and science that can actually help a person who has a substance use disorder. So that's my goal there. I love it. And I love the invitation to change approach. Um, they use craft, act, and motivational interviewing, which I'm sure JR and Jason, and I don't know, Brett, have you done recovery coaching stuff? No, I have not. Okay. There's a lot of motivational interviewing in the recovery coaching world. Mm -hmm. So um, the great thing about it is, is that when you learn these skills, like it can be used for anything. It's when you tell somebody they have to do something or you tell them, or a family member, you say you're enabling somebody to do something or you're you're blaming somebody that might have no control over someone and they don't know what the person needs. You know, we all know that when we were in active addiction that there was things, we were using substances to compensate for, to cope with. So by using the techniques they teach you, you can find out what your loved one needs, what they're lacking maybe why they're doing those things. Um, there's a lot of like teaching them to be able to come to you and you be accepting with the truth so that they can trust you with what's going on. And um, there's a lot of great like statistics with it showing how much it does help and it can cause people to be able to wanna ask for help on their own. It, it causes people to be feel more accepted in their home with their loved ones. Um, which ultimately makes the door open for help um, or, you know, use lesson because they don't feel like they have to like numb as much maybe or hide things. And, and I would love for you guys to hear some of Brittany's stories of, you know, how, what she's learned and how it's helped her in her personal life too. Yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing these stories. Definitely. And, and I think, thank you for the work you do, by the way. Thank you. Oh, of course. Definitely. That's my, my goal. I think one other big thing that I would add to it, too, is that I, it's also about the families and themselves, too, because a lot of times we as family members, we get labeled as enablers and as codependents. And it for me, that's really, really heartbreaking because it doesn't allow us to really open up and really to help the person that we love because we're um, shamed, you know, maybe the same as the person with an addiction could be shamed as well and, and judged. And whenever we as family members feel that judgment, it really, it really hurts and it really stifles the growth of a person with an addiction and it stifles the growth of a family member as well too. And it doesn't allow family members to actually be able to use and learn skills whenever there's stigma and shame that's based around um, helping a person with an addiction and that. 
Yeah. And I think like, here's one of the things I'll, I'll give you this nugget and then we can, John can tell us a little bit about it so you can think about this in the processes. When you say you came home, we'll just use this as an example, and you had been drinking and your loved one said, what'd you do tonight? And you said, you felt shame and you felt like you needed to hide what you were doing. Oh, I was just hanging out with friends, you know, and then, well, did you drink? If they asked you, did you drink? Well, there you have, you can say, yes, I did. Or no, I did not. An act of addiction. I would have said, no, I did not. Now, if with a family member that's trained in this technique, Brittany, how would you respond to me when I came home? Like, what, how, like, do a little role play with me. I'll be. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, as the family member, so if my, my partner, so whenever he goes out or if he goes out and he, he gets a drink or something, I'd be like, Hey, um, I can see right now that you are, have been struggling a little bit. I want you to know that I care about you and I love you. And then I value you. Um, in the morning, what I would like for us to do is kind of talk about this. But what I'm going to be doing right now is I'm going to be going to our bedroom and going to bed for the night. I love you and I'll see you in the morning. So instead of in that moment having to lie or say or make something up or get into a confrontation, it gives that person the space they so the family member knows that their loved one's home and they're safe. There's nothing more they can do about whatever happened in that moment at that point. And then in the morning, they can talk about it when they're both in a better frame of mind. Mm -hmm. Instead of it blowing up and the person leaving and more chaos, you know, happening or just anger and nothing gets solved. So there's a lot of interesting things that come out of, you know, keeping an open mind and just loving someone where they're at. Mm -hmm. All right, John, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself? And Hi, my name's John Lear. Uh, I'm an actor and a writer, comedian in Chicago, uh, in, out of Chicago and in, uh, currently in LA probably best known as the Geico Caveman from the Geico Caveman commercials. Um, I've also done other stuff, but that's, that's the one that uh, was probably the most. And uh, uh, I've been uh, sober for 26 years. I'm active right in the recovery program. Uh, very active. I do comedy at uh, charity events in the recovery community and or MC events uh, uh, I, especially lately um, I just did something for uh, Turning Point of Tampa uh, at a beautiful 1200 seat theater in Tampa Bay for a um, you know a benefit for them so I do a lot of stuff like that um, yeah I'm married, have two kids. The most important job. <laughs> the hardest yeah. one. Yes, sir. <laughs>
Yeah, my daughter's 16 and driving now, so that's pretty insane. In Los Angeles, um, so that is a, uh, whew, that's a that's a new phase for me. Man, I wish we had one of those Geico uh, caveman commercials lined up, but we weren't expecting this. I mean, we, we were trying to meet with John earlier, but uh, scheduling conflicts with everybody were like, oh, well, we, we got the show going on. I mean, we could bring you on the show, too. So uh, fortunate for us, he, he agreed, and we got him on. It's, it's a pleasure to be here. If you want to see any of the Geico commercials that I was in, you can go to uh, johnlear.com. I have them all up there. Yeah, those are classics. Those are my favorites. It's before AG's time. <laughs> really? Brett, That's too. funny. It was like 2013. She's not that young. Yeah, yeah it's born in 84. Yeah, she's not that young. But, hey, I also want to just say, take a moment to say hello, welcome, Brittany and John. Uh, it's a pleasure to meet you both, and I'm looking forward to learning more about you tonight. And I'm sorry I was late. Work, work, work. <laughs> Thursdays are tough. It's when you got to get everything done that you blew off at the beginning of the week. That's <laughs> exactly right. These guys want to pull a long day today so that they can have a short day tomorrow. <laughs> yeah. We're, we've been working Saturdays for weeks. And, uh, the guys are like, can't do it. So, yeah, it's been a couple long days because they want Saturday off. Yeah, it's been like three months straight of Saturdays with my company, but they're not mandatory. Uh, but some of those Saturdays were like they needed close to 30 people, and we got like 45 in our division. So it was kind of close to – on like two of those weekends where everybody would have to do. I've done a few of them, but I get my, when I got my son and stuff, that's my sacred time. I don't, I, I don't even play that game. I, I tell them, you know, if I can do it, I will. And if I can't, sorry. We have substantial completion on Wednesday, the third. So I'm like, this is the Saturday you want off, right? The Saturday before we're supposed to get substantial completion. <laughs> always works like that well, i work for the government so it's uh, a little bit different what's well, a school <laughs> so it's the yeah, government kind of yeah you seen them uh i was on call last weekend and as soon as i laid down sunday my phone rang and <clears throat> i'm like are you kidding me So hey, it's good to see you, Jr. By the way, brother. Yeah, man. I'm glad uh, Ag and Brett let me on the show tonight. Usually, they kick me out after the green room. You're the boss. Don't even lie. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm excited, Brittany. I got a question for you. What? What? What was your motivation to learn all of that? To take all those classes? I mean, that had to be. Uh, I'm guessing a family member. Yeah, so actually, um, just not one family member, but um, my sister, she's a person who's in active recovery from a meth and heroin addiction. 
Um, my mom, she's a person um, who I grew up with who had an active addiction to um, pain pills and opiates. And then um, my partner is a person who has a alcohol use disorder. And so um, for me, it's just always been kind of a part of my life, uh, living with and loving those who have substance use disorders. And so I was, whenever I started seeking help for first kind of for myself, and then I wanted to help my family members, I really felt disheartened and very dejected because a lot of the times I was told that there was nothing that I could do as a family member uh, to help a person with an addiction and that I just needed to let them hit rock bottom. And and it really devastated me because my my one thing is, you know, seeing seeing my partner, um, you know, really go through the thick of his alcohol use disorder really, really wasn't something I was ready to give up on yet. And I was like, there has to be an alternative. And that's kind of whenever I found this book called Get Your Loved One Sober uh, by Robert J. Myers. And that was kind of my first introduction to, to craft. And I kind of went from there and I found um, the Centers for Motivation and Change and um, the book Beyond Addiction, How Science and Kindness Help People Change. And I got trained um, by the authors of the book, uh, Jeffrey Foote and Carrie, and along with Ashley, me and her were in the same uh, cohort uh, there. So um, in that, that's kind of where I learned uh, that there is something that I can do, that, that I can help a person um, with a substance use disorder um, change and help motivate them towards recovery. And uh, kind of from there, I also got trained um, by Robert J. Myers himself, the creator of Craft, and um, uh, did that as well. And then I got trained also in um, family recovery uh, coaching, um, too, to help um, individual family members. And then I got um, training to run the Invitation to Change group for uh, groups of families as well. Um, just to kind of to help give an alternative and allow families to see, yes, there is something you can do to help a person. Do you work in the field or what, what do you do uh, for work? Um, so, so for my work, I actually, I have three different kind of um, jobs that I do, but one of them is a family recovery coach. It's my own business that I, I work with. I work with families who have loved ones with addictions and then I'm a behavioral health coach. And then I'm also a developmental support specialist as well. So that's amazing. Three that's jobs amazing. trying to rival AG. <laughs> well, and I see in the comments, Vicki um, put a comment. She said, why should families have to coddle? My husband's in rehab and I'm seriously thinking I won't take him back. And I want to be clear that we've never said that family members have to coddle or that family members have to do anything. This is just an alternative approach. And it's also, right. there's boundaries that anyone can have. If, if you well, can't deal with certain behaviors, you don't have to take anyone back. Right. And every single person on this planet is an autonomous being. They have their own autonomy. They have the right to choose what's best for them. So, I mean, it's all subjective. It depends on each individual's situation and what they feel is right. So, I mean, nobody can tell you anything different. 
it's up to you. And I'll tell you this from a person in long-term recovery, from my perspective, the reason I went to family training is because I was, I sat on a panel with several mothers that had lost children to overdoses. And they said that we wished our loved ones could have heard your story and realized that recovery was possible. There was nothing for us and, and we didn't know what to do. And I didn't realize that there was not much for family support. So I decided to go to training to see what there was out there. And luckily I discovered, you know, the rotation to change model who they use craft, which is community reinforcement. Uh, Brittany's knows probably what it community reinforcement and family training. There you go. Um, so that model was out there, but 10 years ago, there was even less than there is today. And today there's a lot more for someone in recovery directly than there are for their family members. And as a person in long-term recovery, I wanted to know what families went through because I know that my children have more of a chance of going through active addiction because of my substance use. Um, I wanted to be able to learn techniques to talk about it so that I could find those solutions earlier and have conversations with them. So, you know, there. sometimes, I guess I don't have a family member with substance use disorder, but when you learn about different things, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So yeah. I just, I urge you to listen to what Brittany has to say. And if, if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. There's all different pathways. I definitely love though that Brit or that Vicky brings up that because it is something that I really do come across as as family member as a family member in educating the community about craft and um, the invitation to change approach. Um, I love that you use the word coddle because that is something that I really try to help and educate and kind of break the stigma about because that that isn't what we're doing. We're not we're not coddling an individual. Um, what we are doing is we're teaching ourselves effective skills and strategies to be able to change our own behaviors and hopefully in turn effectively change the behavior of a person who has a substance use disorder. Uh, having the, And also in that having the knowledge that we can't control somebody and we can't control the outcome of another person or substance use. But what craft then allows allows us to do is it gives us new communication tools. It gives us new communication strategies. And it also gives us new understanding as to what it means to be a person who has an addiction. And, and we wouldn't ever advocate for somebody to um, allow somebody back into their home or in their home who has um, any sort of history of violence or or anything of the sorts, it's a, it's key to protect yourself. And that is actually another one of the skills that um, InCraft teaches is it teaches de-escalation techniques is what it does. So that um, a 
whenever your loved one may come home sober or come home intoxicated, it teaches you how to remove yourself from the situation, de-escalate the situation so that it doesn't turn violent. That's why Robert J. Myers created it, because he grew up in a home where he saw a violence between his parents. And he wanted to create a program that helps families de-escalate uh, the violence that's associated with substance use. And so that's kind of how it was born. Um, but um, it, it isn't about coddling. It's about teaching you how to interact with a person with a substance use disorder. And then it will. It will give you the tools to leave if that's what you need. If that's what a partner ends up choosing to do, if that's what they need to do for themselves, is then then leave. And that's what I always advocate for um, partners who I work with and saying, you know, you've done the best that you can. You've learned the alternatives. Okay, then this is the next step. And this is what we have to do. There's a whole section in the book, Get Your Loved One Sober, that talks about um, knowing when to leave and knowing um, and giving you kind of the strategies on what to do to leave um, if that's what you choose. Um, with parents, it is going to be something that's going to be a little bit different because you can't, you know, just leave, you know, a family member or a child, but it teaches you the same as it would a partner, effective boundaries. It will teach you boundaries how, how to, and how to communicate, and it'll teach you how to um, kind of gain a sort of sense of control in yourself and sanity for yourself because a lot of times as family members we just feel so out of control that there's nothing we can do so that's what it really helps you do is it helps you to learn boundaries set those boundaries stick to those boundaries and follow through so that you can help yourself in that as on the same line and also helping your family member too so what well, i think a great Part of that is you make your boundaries when you're in a clear state of mind, not when you're in a chaotic situation. Because if you make a boundary, if you decide I'm not dealing with this behavior in the moment, and then later you backstep and you say, okay, that was okay that time. Next time, you know, it's, it's different if you have a, a line, say you make a boundary that there's no violence allowed in the home and you decide, okay, well, I'm going to allow someone to hit me this one time. Then the next time you, where's the line in the sand? But if you make a boundary and it's clear and you've given the boundary to someone when they're in a clear state of mind, they knew that boundary, you're less likely to go back on it. You're less likely to let something escalate later because you, you know, I guess the best example I can use is when they told, you know, when I was in active addiction, there's those lines in the sand and it was like, yeah, you, you, you might move your line all the time, you know, and it's like, okay, you accept it this time. And the next time you go a little further, your line. So this strategy, when you make a boundary, it's a clear boundary and you make it not in a chaotic situation too. I don't know if that made any sense, but. I would say in uh, my active addiction, I crossed every boundary line there was. 
I mean, I remember when I first started, I was like, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna uh, steal or or lie. I'm just gonna spend what I can. You know, and I ended up spending my whole paycheck and my next paycheck too. And the next thing I know, I'm, I'm boosting stuff from Walmart. So it's tough to keep those boundaries. But but I love it. I, I love the new the new shift in dynamics that uh, people that the recovery uh, community is getting because we 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 needed it. We we really do need it today. I mean, it's it's getting insane out there. I mean. Brett, you got something for us? I have one of the Geico Cavemen videos ready to go. All right, you're going to lighten it up with some. Nice. Crank it up, buddy. <laughs> Let's do it. All right. All right. Read them and weep. Hmm. Impressive. How about this? Neanderthal? <laughs> Brian, your words are hurtful. Okay. <laughs> I'm taking the bus, and you will not see me at the Pancake Social tomorrow. Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more on car insurance. <laughs> nice. <laughs> see? Healthy boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that was a good example of a healthy boundary. And a that lot of hair. Who was a... Uh, uh, linebacker for the uh, and then Washington Redskins, and he it was so funny because the caveman thing got to be so big, people were asking to be you know uh, celebrities were asking to be on commercials, and he was one of those. He really wanted to do a Geico caveman commercial. Really nice guy, dude. How long did it uh, did you have to put in doing all that? To put uh, for the makeup, yeah, um, it was it, it would take like about three hours uh, oh. to put it on, and about an hour to take it off. So, <laughs> you know, I would just sit there and uh, with, with a bunch of people working on my face for three hours, but you know, better than yeah. a real job. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say there's worse ways to get paid. Yeah. <laughs> That's right, and you know, by I, by the time the uh, the caveman commercials came around, I was already sober, so uh, I was I was grateful. You know, I was kind of building my life back together, and um, was able to get insurance through the union, and uh, I got into therapy first. I, I went, I, I I was arrested, and I I, uh, I spent the night in. Uh, in the county jail on uh, L LSD, amongst other things, which was a rough night. And my my lawyer was saying that, you know, listen, uh, you're, you're looking at some time on this one. It wasn't my first run-in. He said, you're looking at some time on this one. And, um, you know, you might want to clean yourself up, get into, you know, get into a 12-step program. And, uh, and so I did. And that, that was the last time I, I drank or used, I was one of those lucky ones that the very first time. And, um, I don't know why, uh, it, it worked for me on the first one and, and, and friends of mine, you know, uh, 
come in and out and eventually stay in. And, but, um, yeah, I, I've just been grateful ever since, you know, and, um, I, you know, I just feel like it's, you know, that a big part of, of my sobriety and my recovery has been helping others, you know, and uh, that keeps me centered in a way uh, that, uh, that that keeps me focused away from myself, you know. But yeah, it was my, th- I saw somebody had a comment about therapy. It, it was my therapist who really got me to, you know, get into recovery, into the recovery community. You know, it was really thanks to him. I don't think I ever would have done it if it wasn't for him. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm like, I'm a proponent of whatever it takes, man. I, I, it takes a full committee to keep me going, you know, and, uh, and I'll take help wherever it is. But, uh, yeah, probably the biggest thing for me at, at this point in my recovery is to help others you know that just keeps me centered keeps me focused on what's important and um you know it feels good it turns out being helping others is the meaning of life i didn't know that you know i thought the meaning of life when i was using was to take what's mine you know just take what i could and um it's the exact opposite and uh it took me a long time to realize that yeah, absolutely, man. Yeah, you want to tell us what uh, what you're doing today, man? I know uh, we talked a little bit about it behind the scenes, but uh, you want to, you know, plug some stuff? Yeah, sure. I'm uh, I'm right now. I, I, my website is uh, johnlear.com, and you can find out what's up there. But I. Uh, I've been doing a lot of live performances lately. Um, I do a lot of stuff. Uh, for fundraisers and charity for uh, the recovery community. Um, and, but I also do just, you know, normal uh, stand-up as well. I'm doing a play right now called Speed Bump, which will be coming out soon. By the, It was written by the guy who, uh, who was the showrunner for Key and & Peele. And uh, I'm pitching. I, I'm, a, I'm a writer and a producer, you know, and I, I've sold a few shows. And so right now is kind of the time uh, where you meet with executives and, you know, try to, you know, let them tell them what you're working on and see if uh, it's something that interests them. So I'm in the I'm in the thick of that right now. During the pandemic, I had a lot of downtime and I spent a lot of it uh, writing and and creating. And now all all of those things are kind of coming to fruition. And and so I'm 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 really busy. Um, and it's, you know, it's a good time. It's a good time right now. LA is kind of, is fully back and, uh, the, and Hollywood is back and, uh, um, you know, there's a, a certain lightness and joy going on around the people I work with right now, which is great. There's but a lot, lot of, of a lot of people suffer during the pandemic, you know, as I know you guys know. And um, so there's a lot of work to be done. Yeah, I'm, I'm assuming it was really hard for, you know, there's a lot of actors that are extroverts and, you know, like to be around people. 
and it's got to be hard for people that like to be around people when they can't be around people. Yeah, and artists, you know, are, you know, there's a lot of, of drug and alcohol abuse that happens in the art, art world, and um, yeah, we're not good when we're left alone. <laughs> uh, but I think you're right. I, I, you know, I don't think anybody really is. Um, but part of this disease, it seems, is that it kind of wants me by myself, you know, and kind of wants me to get into my own head and convince me that things aren't aren't good and that to start believing my own thoughts, you know. And and, and that's been a really a really big um, uh, uh, lesson for me is that, you know, my brain just tells me stuff that just isn't true, you know, and uh, that's a hard way to live. That it is. And it tells you in your own voice. So it's really convincing. <laughs> it sounds so real. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> my brains lie. I hear you. <laughs> You know, I had this experience, um, and it was it, it was in the shower. It was uh, it was a few years back, but it was really profound. I was uh, I was in the shower, naked as one is, and I was having this argument with a boss who had tried to uh, fire me for my own show years ago. This was years ago, and I was having this argument with him. And of course, he's not there. It's all in my head, you know. And uh, all of a sudden, I kind of realized that I was, you know, in my shower, <laughs> having an argument with somebody who wasn't there. And I was kind of able to pop out and see myself in that moment. And I laughed at myself. And it was so funny because it was just gone instantly. And that was a really profound experience for me. And so the idea of, you know, being able to observe myself when I'm not at my best, you know, when I'm in my disease and to sort of um, not without judgment, but to just sort of see myself and, and, and go, oh, there's John. There he is, you know, arguing with somebody, uh, having an argument that was, is 10 years old uh, and, and, la and sort of laughing at myself man it just grounds me instantly and so i think that i think that's why there's so much laughter and humor in uh in recovery you know and people who aren't uh aren't aren't uh alcoholics or drug addicts are kind of can kind of hear that humor and they're like man that's so dark what's wrong with you people but I think that humor is a way for all of us to show that we identify with each other, that, yeah, I've been there too, you know, um, and, and it's a way to sort of, um, you know, not take ourselves, uh, so seriously, you know, and, and I think there's a, there's relief in that. And, um, so that's, that's been huge for me. I love it, man. I love it. I, I hate it when uh, people take their past so serious you can't even make a joke about it. I'm like, I, I laugh at myself, man. I, I I did some really stupid things back in the day, but you know, I mean, if I don't laugh at it now, then it's like, what did I learn from it? You know? But yeah. Like, you joke about drugs. 
Well, yeah, I mean, obviously the disease we take very seriously, but part of recovery is to have a full life, you know, and, uh, and to experience joy and, and happiness and, and love, you know, and I think, uh, addicts and alcoholics tend to, <laughs> you know, we take ourselves, yeah, I agree. We sometimes take ourselves way too seriously and it can lead to some really dark places. And I think there's a difference too between being able to admit something you did was not the brightest or the best idea and glorifying the use yeah. or the problem. So, I mean, there's a big difference and I, I don't think there's anything wrong with saying I, I was an idiot and I did X, Y, and Z or saying that was so fun or that was amazing when I did X, Y, and Z. They're, they're completely different situations. Um, but I mean, the opposite of addiction is what? Laughter? Connection. No. Connection. And so, Caring. Yeah, connection. So he's connecting with people by being able to laugh and joke around about it. That's part of recovering is connecting in some way. Yeah, I, I agree, Heather. Heather, um, one of my uh, one of my army buddies, he was he went through treatment with me, and you know it's like two three months into it, and we we were you know taking a bus to the gym or something like that, and he's like, uh, he goes, you know what I missed most about about uh, when I was in addiction, he was like laughing because we we were just cutting up. I mean, we were, that's what sobriety gave us back. I mean, that's, I mean, that's that whole joy, you know, chasing joy and, and just laughing and enjoying life, you know, living life, a life, you know, to the fullest, you know, without the need to numb yourself, you know, because that's one of the things that the drugs and the alcohol did to me. It's because, uh, you know, Brett and, AG will tell you that, you know, I'm normally a, a shy, introverted one on the show. So, you know. <laughs> I'm just I don't kidding about that. Yeah, I'm just kidding about that one. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's my life now is, is amazing. I mean, you know, one of the things I was worried about coming into recovery was, you know, not having anything to do, but I am, I am so busy enjoying life. I mean, I've done more in these five years than, you know, I did in 20 years in addiction. You know, I, I'm crossing stuff off my bucket list. You know, I'm skydiving, you know, whitewater rafting now, you know, I'm, I'm enjoying it. Mobilizing with these guys. Look at that stand up for recovery. Oh, you got it too? <laughs> Ta-da! <laughs> you changed shirts? Oh yeah, I'm in the house now. I switched. Uh, I got home, so I'm on. I the, off. I figured. I figured I'd take an extra second to get recovery, represent recovery. Well, yeah. Think, so Brittany's done stuff with rap too, haven't you? I think that yeah. And they have the family caucus now too. Yeah, yeah. They actually um, had the meeting tonight. The the rap meeting was tonight, and then oh, the training. Yeah, it was it was training, 
And then, yeah, I do I do stuff with, like, the Family Caucus and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. I got to do um, a presentation with uh, the partnerships to end addiction and to kind of, um, kind of spread and advocate the word for families with craft and invitation to change. So that was, that was something that was really, really rewarding to be able to do to kind of help educate the community a little bit more with that too. And I also, um, which is something that I'm really um, blessed that I got to do, I got to actually be on our local news network um, here in Springfield and awesome. got to, yeah, it was, it was, um, it was really a blessing because it got to, it spread the word of um, craft and invitation to change. And it was able to really kind of open a lot of doors for um, different families to be able to come in and uh, receive some help that they were needing with their loved ones who have addictions. So it was really, really good to kind of um, be able to do that and reach a, a wide audience with it too. Well, I think there's something to be said about the fact, too, that, you know, you, you entered into this sphere and learning about these things because you weren't willing to give up on your loved one and you wanted to see if there was a different answer. You learned the stuff, and now I just love that you've made it your mission to now go and educate others because that's how the ripple effect starts. That's how real systematic change happens, right? Spread the love, spread the knowledge. Yeah. yeah. So good job for that. And thank well, you thank because you. not enough people step up to the plate and think that they're, you know, they let their insecurities get in the way. They don't think they're qualified to do that or, you know, whatever. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I mean, I'll definitely say I've been there and still am there sometimes with, with it as well. It's like, I, I question myself. I'm like, why am I doing this? I'm, That's, I'm normal. A That's normal. That's <laughs> normal. Yeah, so because I'm always like, there's way more qualified people than me, but but I think also that kind of us that mentality it it helps me to kind of pass the torch type of thing as well because that's what I really want. I don't want to be like you know the the main head leader of everything. I want to be able to take it, educate people, have them to become leaders themselves, and just keep that ripple effect, like you said as well going because that's how we're going to make changes how we're going to make an impact is by um, continuing and passing the torch along to create that that's a that's a great definition of a leader uh, let's say uh i heard it recently uh enabling other people to um something jason you were going to say something? <laughs> no. I'm, I'm hearing some weird noise. Are you guys hearing that? Yeah, that's, that's, that's my goal for uh, uh, Recovery Revolution, too. I, you know, it's not like... Yeah. I, I, what? I, think, I think it's JR's mic. It may be. I don't know. Oh. It's got to be him. It's not me. JR. It's him. It went away. It's always him. <laughs> okay. I thought, what the hell? I, I just got these headphones. What's going on here? Uh, all right. Thanks for keeping me on my toes, buddy. <laughs> yeah, whenever he's muted, it's not doing it. 
But you can finish what you're saying, bud. We can. Right. Oh, oh, he he took off the headset. He quit. <laughs> All right, headset's off. How, how about now? Oh, it's better. better. Much better. I'll give you a ding for that. Ding. Yeah, like I like I was saying before, I was muted. <laughs> oh, that that is my goal for all of my admins is is to become a a more effective leader where they don't depend on me for you know I, I hate micromanaging you know I, I love I love to see people grow in their recovery and I got a good story about one of our uh, panelists here who was it was a, a a shy quiet person sitting at a table in Vegas by herself with her with her, with her colored markers. And I'm like, let me sit next to her, see what, see, see what she's, what you know, what's the scoop? Yeah. Wait, actually, did you have markers in Vegas? Because I didn't have markers. I might add colored pens, but not markers. Well, guys, we call everything markers. <laughs> oh, okay. All right, my colored pens. Yes, you did sit next to me. Yeah, yeah. Ag's the perfect example. I mean, she has grown as a person. And how long have you been on part of the show? Since December, I think. Nice. To December 2021. Wow. She's found her voice. I mean, I'm sure she had it in her in her three or four jobs that she was doing before the, the five jobs I gave her. But. Well, and Brett helped, too. He sent me a microphone, which I'm not using right now. Ooh. Yeah, he sent, he sent me a camera. Which yeah. I don't use. Yeah, it. I sent I sent one to Jr. too, and he still uses the 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 headset with the with the static. <laughs> yeah, it's a brand new Brett, Call him out, bro. Call him yeah. out. They made me feel Muted. like my voice mattered. Muted me in, in the middle of, of of my whole spiel. We love you, bro. We just wanted to hear your silky voice in all of its fullness and glory. That's all. Hey. Hey, it's beautiful. John, you want to tell us what you're doing <laughs> with the uh, Real Recovery Film Festival? He talked to Abra the other day. Yeah, I'm uh, uh, I'm going to do some comedy for them uh, at a theater near where the film festival is in North Hollywood. Um, so I'll, I'll I don't uh, I'm going to you know do it that and then i'll of course i'll be at the festival as well i'm looking forward to it sounds awesome man it's got to be cool that you kind of uh because i'm sure you know the success you found with the commercials and things has kind of given you uh more access to a larger stage a uh, bigger platform for recovery and to spread the message of hope dude yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's been a blessing. And uh, uh, as as I've as I've you know uh, had you know long term recovery, I've 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 felt more and more comfortable. I mean, I've always been really open about it, and it was always kind of a part of my comedy. But um, I don't know. It's it's kind of shifted gears to where I'm able to reach out pe to people when I'm performing, but then after the show to be able to talk to people and family members and stuff, which is just, it's just awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I, I love alcoholics and addicts, you know, 
they're amazing, amazing people. And, um, you know, they, it's, and it's so great to see them find their path through all of this and, and to see their family, uh, to meet families of people who have been able to, you know, to get some recovery has been really cool. Absolutely. Yeah, I think that's one of the greatest parts is that when one person recovers, the whole family recovers. And, you know, like my recovery brought my kids a mom in recovery. So their chances of being a second generation, you know, it it lessens the chances. I mean, they're still, what, twice as likely because of my issues, but at least I can teach them recovery techniques and principles now. So later, if there is an issue, maybe they won't have to suffer as long. Amen. You know, we get sick together and we get better together. And I, I love that you brought up parenting because, <clears throat> and I, I was just recently talking about this on, on the way out podcast, um, my last interview, but it's like with my son, I, I used to really think I was a good dad, you know, and I'm, I'm not saying I was like a horrible dad, you know, but I definitely wasn't, uh, fully present for my kids, you know, obviously. And it's just so amazing to me, the difference in our relationship today than it was, you know, it would, of course I loved him, you know, but it's just different. It's so much deeper today and it's always growing. And, and I guess I, I more fully experience that joy or whatever emotions come up, you know, it's not all, you know, happy and joy, but uh, definitely, you know, some parts of parenting are really hard. It's hardest job, as we said, but it just blows my mind how much better the quality is of the relationship that I have with my youngest son and with my girlfriend's daughter. It's, it's a beautiful thing, man. And it's all due to this, everything in my life. That's good. I can point back to my recovery and I should, and I should point up to God because it's only because of those things, you know, I get to have all this wonderful in my life. Amen. You know? Yeah. I don't know Click if I can say anything after that. That was like mic drop. Boop. Where's the ding? Right, was on mute. Oh yes, thank you. I think I have a mic drop sound effect somewhere. I just don't know which page of sound effects it's on. <laughs> That's the problem. I have too many. Oh, yeah. I do want to give uh, John Lear a big thank you for joining us tonight. He just uh, mentioned, texted us that Ed, he has this the go now. But but thank you so much, man. I totally enjoyed it, man. Uh, me too. Thanks so much for having me. I'm I'm actually parked outside a restaurant, about to go have dinner with a recovery brother. So uh, right on, you know, bro. You don't want to keep them waiting. They'll turn on you in a second. <laughs> yeah, they'll ghost you out and you'll never see him again. <laughs> Food is a big thing in recovery. It is. It's a big deal. Dude, pleasure meeting you, John. Thank you very yeah, much. Thanks for having me. I hope to see all of you guys soon, but uh, this has been great. And um, 
yeah, I, I, I love what you're doing. So love what you're doing, up. man. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, Thanks, I'll see man. you guys. Bye. Bye. The thing that gets me about that guy is that, you know, he gets blessed. He takes that blessing and he uses it to go and bless others. That's what it's about, right? What if you can about. grow your voice, man, you should. And you should use that, you know, even if it didn't grow because of recovery. Like he said, you know, he can use that. He can, It's transferable. <laughs> Love it. Playing yeah. seeds, man. Playing seeds. He's doing stand up, talking. Someone in that audience understands his jokes. Dude, totally. Yeah. Those jokes when it's like normal people don't laugh at that. You know, Mark Lundholm always says that in his stand up. Like, he'll just look at you like, you guys are fucked up. Normal people don't laugh at that. <laughs> we do but have some weird. crazy senses of humor. Yeah. <laughs> So I want to hear, so Brittany, I've been advocating for a long time that we need more family members on the show. So I'm going to take the chance and get you to use your voice as much as possible. Yes, so please. what have you learned the most or what's the most important lesson you've learned through a different approach than the traditional like Al-Anon approach and what have been the benefits and maybe some of the trying times. I think um, the one uh, thing that I've really learned is that there is something that you can do to help because um, I've been, I've like I said a little bit previously before, like I've been just shut out um, as a family member really by society and kind of the cultural norms of what it means to be a family member who loves those with substance use and saying that you need to let them just uh, hit that rock bottom that there's something you can do so the I say the alternatives learning the alternatives has helped me gain the tools and the resources necessary to actually help um, my loved ones um, seek recovery uh, my partner, he is a person who for 17 years has had an alcohol use disorder. And um, we did really get to that point where I was like you know, using ultimatums. And one of the things they teach us in craft is not to use ultimatums. And I was like, um, I was like, you're either going to do this or I'm going to, going to leave. And, and obviously that didn't help. That didn't work with him and it really doesn't work with most people with um, substance use disorders. So with craft and invitation to change, I was able to learn the alternatives to help. I was able to use motivational interviewing strategies. I was able to learn uh, how to set effective boundaries. I was learning how to take care of myself in a better way. I learned about the different stages of change and about ambivalence. I learned about, um, a whole host of different things to kind of help um, my loved one and to help motivate him towards change. And I think the big thing to really remember in that is what, as well as that with motivation to change or motivational interviewing, we're trying to help a person change on their own. Uh, we're not forcing a person to change. And so whenever I was able to really use a lot of those skills and strategies, um, my partner, he decided, 
um, really on his own to uh, get insurance. I uh, got into a really good um, facility, rehab facility, and he has been inactive in, for over a year now in um, his recovery. He's still um, awesome. is, yeah, he's he's very active in it. Um, he's created in his um, in the community. He creates this thing that's called like supper club, and we go out with people who have who are in uh, recovery. Um, he still does um, actively um, drink sometimes, but it's definitely not to where he was um, before. And he still has the goal of, uh, I don't want to drink, but it just takes time. Um, I think the challenging part would be is that sometimes, yes, I still do um, get, um, especially during sometimes during the big slips, like he'll, he can go like, he went the longest 70 days, which that's for me is amazing and fantastic. It was definitely a big change for him as well, going 17 years with um, drinking. And so I think the biggest challenge is that is the reoccurrences, the, the slips and um, kind of feeling like it's starting back over, even though definitely with my training with craft and invitation to change, we know it's not just starting over. It's that it's progressing. Yeah, definitely. It's progressing. And so, um, but it's, it is, it's still challenging. It's still disheartening um, to see at times. And I think it's really very challenging because um, I can really, I see him hurting and um, that's, and that's not what I really, really want. And I also don't want to be the person who, cause before like invitation to change in craft, I would yell, I would scream. I would, um, I just, it wasn't a very healthy relationship on both sides. And, and I, I still have those slip in my own behaviors as well too. But um, I think that has been one of the biggest improvements too, is that it has allowed me to be able to change the way I communicate with them. And it has allowed me to be able to be more understanding, caring and empathetic as well, I think. But um, yeah, the biggest challenge I definitely would think would be the, the reoccurrences and, and, and the slips in that. And probably a lot of the stigma kind of as well that um, I still kind of face in um, still supporting a person who may actively be drinking because a lot of the times they're like, well, why don't you just leave? And I'm like, because that's not my my goal. That's not my intention. Uh, I know that recovery is possible. He That's what he wants. He wants change for himself and he's going to make it happen. It's just going to take time. So, yeah, I mean, you believe in him and it it's it's a process so i think that's why you build it's just like with us in you know substance use recovery you're in family recovery <clears throat> you have built you've built this community around yourself so it's important to lean on them because they are like-minded individuals who have the same goal in mind as you do you know what i mean instead <clears throat> so maybe recognizing the people that are just 
fed up with hearing about it, so they got nothing but negative things to say. Like maybe just don't lean on them anymore, you know, because now you have built a new support network, and that's important. I want to ask you: when he does have a reoccurrence, does it last seventeen years, like his active addiction did, or or is it something you know about right away and there's steps taken to get back to those other places, the place of being in a healthier state? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. That's another really, I think, a benefit that in um, a lot of with what I've learned with craft and invitation to change is it's changed the way that we interact with each other. He doesn't um, hide it anymore. He's very truthful, very open, very honest um, with me whenever he um, is having a craving, feeling like um, he, he's wanting to drink. He'll tell me to be like, hey, um, I'm going to the store. This is my um, goal is to get like two, um, two drinks. And then sometimes, you know, what we do is um, we can... Um, sometimes talk to through it and he's able to hold off. Um, uh, we started a, um, a system that's kind of like a reward system. It, it's based on the um, kind. Well, I mean, it, it is, it's, it's a reward system is what it is. He gets dice for um, going past a certain uh, time of drinking. So like he, he set a goal to where he doesn't want to drink during the day. He's, working down towards past six o'clock. So um, six, whenever six o'clock comes around, he um, will give himself a dice. And his dice then he can use to spend on um, anything that he, he wants. So like each dice is worth like three, $3. And so then he accumulates that and then we kind of count it up and then he turns it in and he buys himself a reward. And so those are also some other kind of skills and strategies and stuff that we've been really um, working towards um, to kind of help him to stay motivated, to stay on track um, with him. So it's it's kind of been, we've become a team um, in this and working together um, so that he can feel like he has the support, so he can be open, so that he can be honest, that he can communicate he's having his he's having cravings and we can come up with plans and strategies um, to kind of help with it. So, cause before it would be like whenever the first time he went into the house, that's what we call his rehab center, the house. Um, he, I cleaned like all kinds of hidden spots, like everywhere you can imagine there was like bottles hidden. And he doesn't do that anymore. I mean, that's a big improvement that he doesn't hide it anymore. He's open. He's honest. He's, um, and we, and we communicate. So, yeah. If you hadn't learned these skills, the direction that things were heading, where do you think he would be right now if you would have left and, and not believed in him? I mean, I mean, he definitely, I don't think he would be um, where he's at um, right now in his um, recovery process. He wouldn't have um, 
gone to inpatient um, the two times that he went. He wouldn't have gone to therapy outpatient. He wouldn't have um, done any of that. He probably would honestly be homeless like he has before in the past. Um, before we um, got together, he was um, living under a bridge out at one point, and um, that would, I mean, that probably would be something that would happen again for him, is that he would, that would happen, or he would be um, drinking a gallon of vodka a day, or something like that, to back to where he was previously, instead of just two tall beers a day, so. Yeah, we got a thing that we say in recovery rooms, uh, you know, jails, institutions, or death. Mm -hmm. None of which sound good. (laughs) And I think we can, you know, I'm going to speak for the five of us on here, but, and if I'm wrong, please correct me, but we all love people in recovery. All of us. We love recovery and we love people in recovery. And so I think that, you know, the next time, you know, we tell a family member you know, the only option is to let them hit rock bottom. There's nothing that you can do. I would hope you'd remember Brittany's story and that her loved one would be on the street right now if there was nothing she could do. That yeah. might be putting it mildly too, you know, that that could be underselling it. It could be worse. It could be dead. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, rock, rock bottom could be death. I mean, if right. we wait till someone hits rock bottom, they may, they may not be able to bounce back. Yeah. So anything to to, to stop them from reaching that low, I, you know, I strongly support. Yeah. Okay. And I don't know. I'm a strong proponent, and we don't we don't give up around here. I never quit on anybody. Um, you know, I I draw the healthy boundaries, right? Like. I have to. I'm not obligated to participate in something that's super toxic for me. But at the same time, um, I always leave those situations where I know it's crystal clear that my hand is extended. If you choose to reach out for it, if you really want to help yourself, I want to help you. I want to walk alongside you in that journey. And that's all it takes is, you know, people to know that there's genuine love and compassion behind it. Everything's every message is given with love, no matter how hard. That's huge, you know, because that'll it's like planting a seed, you know. And I think there's like so much that I mean, I I didn't know before I listened to some of these stories. And there's family members that, you know, they don't know what to do and they're dealing almost with abusive situations at home because there's someone that they love, like a child or, and then they can't go to anyone in the community to talk about it because there's so much shame and they're almost shamed for loving their child or their loved one or their spouse or whoever it is. They're shamed for loving someone. And I mean, think about overdoses. Do you see people coming out in the streets and hugging family members after somebody, after they've lost someone? Or do they have to say it was a heart attack or the obituary might not say how the person passed away? Some, now they're talking about it more. There's more bravery, but why should somebody have to keep somebody else's secret because of the shame? 
everybody should be able to get support. Yeah, definitely. And it, it's, it is, it's, it's definitely very heartbreaking to see that in our communities and, and abroad, because there is, there is that support. The support is out there. It's just not as readily available as it should be. And that's, and that is changing. It's, it's slowly starting to change, especially with a lot of the stuff that the Centers for Motivation and Change are doing. And um, um, and I've seen a lot of improvements um, in the communities because of it. But it's it's going to take time. It's going to take a continual advocacy and, and voices um, of each of us to kind of continue to help and continue moving forward. And I think just not educating our community, but also educating um, a lot of like the mental health professionals as well, because me as an individual who's a mental health professional, um, I kind of feel that that's important as well. And I know that therapists and other mental health professionals don't know about invitation to change or craft. And they're still kind of stuck in the, um, the codependent sort of um, ideology and and that's really harmful um, to to a lot of families too whenever they go to seek help with the mental health professionals they're told by that professional that they're codependent and that they're enablers and that is really um, heartbreaking in itself as well so. but that's that's where you come in Brittany you know that's where you come in, and that's how change comes about. The fact that you're educating others to learn these skills and be able to apply them, and you know, probably educating some to be trainers themselves, so they can go out and educate others. That's that's where it's going to change, you know. And eventually, it could be a system, like a, a system wide change. But for now, um, it's that much more important that there's people like you that are applying these principles to your practice and really trying to help educate others on how to do it as well. Because it's just like uh, with our addiction, right? It's progressive and fatal possibly, but so is recovery and so are recovery practices. They are progressive. They are always changing and growing. So again, thank you for, I, I just appreciate people like yourself that, take your lived experience and you use it as fuel, you know, for, for the fire and, and you go out and you, and you make a mission of your life and you're helping, I'm sure a lot of people. And I really hope that you being on our show helps a lot of people, you know? Yeah, definitely. Thank you. And and thank you guys for everything. You know, I know each of you um, are advocates and work as well in your communities and abroad as well with the podcast that reaches, you know, several, several people as well. And that's, that's an impact and that's powerful as well. So, I mean, it takes a community to be able to, to grow. It's just not one person who makes that, that impact. And so each of us has that ability to change, to change something um, may not be able to change the world, but we can change ourselves. And in that, we can change our communities and 
others. So, yeah. yeah. Oh, it all starts in ourselves. here. It changes the world. Yeah, it all <laughs> starts in here. It does. That's and true. I can tell you, like, we're all big on advocacy. And I can, this is 100% family members are the ones that have gotten a lot of the laws changed for people in recovery because there's been a lot of stigma, you know, for us telling our stories, but there's, you know, there's stigma when you love someone in active addiction, but there's also a compassion, you know, especially when you're talking to legislators, they're family members. They can identify a lot of times with some of these situations and, I'm telling you, there's family members. Yeah. Everybody's touched by this. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Everybody's touched by this. Everybody anywhere can relate on some level, whether it's from the, you know, chemical side or from the just having to be in these toxic relationships or environment side. So it's like you can't talk to anybody that's not touched by it. You just can't. And I, I mean, I think I know Jason and JR know Jacqueline. And that's another, you know, huge family advocate that I respect so much. Um, and I didn't realize, you know, there's more for parents with children with substance use disorder. There's not as much for like Brittany, your situation with your loved one and then as a brother or sister of somebody, you know, there's not as many groups for them. So having advocates that can talk about those experiences is super important because like, I didn't know that that was a gap. I would have never really thought about it, honestly, because I was never in that situation. But I mean, there's not as much, you know, and I don't want to say sympathy, but think about, you know, if you lost a loved one to an overdose, you know, you think about the, the parents first. They, they just lost their child. But think about a sibling that grew up with that person. They've had that person in their lives either since they were little or their whole lives if it was an older sibling. And then they just lost somebody that has been part of their life since they were born. It's just as traumatic as a parent. And there's not as much for them either. I feel like it's for everybody though. You know, the programs like craft or uh, thrive family support in Minnesota. It's more of a Christian based one, but it's the same, same type of thing, you know, where it's, we can help them. We can learn to love them well. Right. And I think that's transferable uh, across the spectrum with the, uh, you know, different types of relationships for sure. Maybe it just seems like that because there's more parents that take uh, the center stage and speak out. I don't know. Have you noticed that, Brittany, that there's not as much for like for spouses or for brothers and sisters? Yeah, definitely. Um, it is really more like a lot of the times that parents is who we see and and they're the ones who really uh, grasp hold of craft and um, invitation to change. Um, and I think I think the reason why for we don't see as many partner advocates out there 
um, is because of, like we talked about, that stigma and that shame is really put onto um, partners um, a lot more maybe than maybe a parent because there is that expectation out there, well, parents are going to love, you know, your them unconditionally no matter what but us as partners there's that expectation to like well you can just leave whenever you want to why don't you just leave and um so sometimes whenever we kind of step up out of the shadows and be like hey um my partner is a person you know with an an addiction um we feel that 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 shame and that stigma maybe even a little bit more because um, they're like, oh, don't take us maybe as seriously because we're like, well, you could just, you know, anytime you don't have to love this person unconditional. They're not your child. You can, you can leave them anytime. Um, so I definitely don't see, um, as much partners. That's sad. Like what, what you just described it, to me, that's sad. Like, how what a cold response you know that somebody would have that response like oh well you're choosing it so i have no pity for you mm -hmm. like really dude like love is love right <laughs> i don't know that that just got me listening it, to you describe that it is and it is heartbreaking and it's like and like, you see it in a lot of like because um, I'm in a lot of, like, the different support groups and stuff for families, especially on, like, Facebook and stuff like that. And in a lot of the forms and then the comments, those of us who are partners, who are all sharing the same burdens, you still see people telling each other to just leave. And you're hearing that from other partners saying, you know, run away, leave, go. And that's that a lot of the times you don't see the support that somebody's asking for in in these forms or in these chats. You hear, you see them hurt and not helped. And so um, that's why, you know, the Thrive Family Support Group is really good as well because they created the Facebook page that now I think it has close to 5,000 uh, people in it where she has rules on there where you don't say that you don't tell somebody to run you don't tell somebody to leave um and you don't um use the wordings codependence or or enablers um and we also in the form chats and thrive we don't use the word um addict and alcoholic we use uh the person we use person first language we use you know a person who has an addiction a person who has a substance use disorder so um, I see a lot more partners more recently in her forms really stepping up, I think, because um, it's, it's more safe. It's, it's safer for them in that environment than it is maybe in another environment. It's an empowering space for sure. Pam is a dear friend of mine. We're both from Minnesota, and uh, she's a fellow mobilizer, part of Minnesota Rap. But she, she would be a great guest on this show, actually, if you want to get more family people on here. Because, yeah, she's doing all sorts of great work, not just Thrive. Uh, there's other things that she's involved with that are um, 
same mission, you know, different angle or whatever, but Pam's amazing. Yeah. 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 I get, um, I volunteer um, as one of the mentors there for uh, Thrive. So it's, it is, it's a really, um, that group is a really big blessing. It really does help a lot of, a lot of families and they do a lot of like the different, they're, because um, you did say that they're a little bit more religious based. So they have kind of started doing it to where they have like the the religious based ones, but then they have like more that's more focused on the invitation to change and craft part. But all of their stuff is still like a, encompasses like invitation to change and craft. And that's one of the biggest resources I send people to is is the Thrive um, meetings because they're awesome. they're really impactful. Well, I'm glad I mentioned it then. Because <laughs> yeah, like too. Yeah, because change. She was on in our thing. Yeah, mm -hmm. and it, she's she's just incredible. I think it's good that she's trying to um, add kind of a more secular elements to that program because, um, you know, if you want to reach more people, you got to meet them where they're at, right? So you can't. Um, I just think it's good because the things that she's learned and discovered throughout uh, this whole time that she's been doing this kind of work and the things she's put together are really amazing and they work, you know, um, not just, you know, I'm not saying that you're going to get your loved one sober guaranteed through Thrive. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that you will be okay no matter what the outcome is, I mean, maybe, you know, on some level, you know, you're like, you're going to have better coping skills and stuff uh, as a result of uh, learning those skills and being a part of that community. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's a big deal. She's built an amazing group of people and she's an amazing person. She's, 20 times the person I am. I respect the heck out of Pam. Don't say that about yourself. I'm not even talking down about myself. I'm, she's just. <laughs> she's you're amazing. Level. Ashley, you're amazing. Thank you. Ding. <laughs> yeah. Delay. So I'm now I decide when you ding. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you need your own bell. I guess I'm like all into it now. I remember the first time I did this show, I was like, what was that? <laughs> when you did it and you guys are all acting like it was cool. And I had no you need, clue. You need one that sound that has like a different sound. So we know who's dinging. I'll get one that sounds like the horn on Dukes of Hazard or something. I think we were on. <laughs> yes. We do have that one. You want you want something like this? Exactly. That's my kind of music. There you go. Okay. Well, I think one of the cool things that I I learned <laughs> in our, when we did our training, and not to change the subject from the bell, but um, no, this is better. Behaviors make sense. Like one of the things that they used was the the stove thing. Where like when you touch a hot stove, you don't touch it again because you get burnt. Like if someone tells you not to touch it, 
you sometimes still touch it because you want to see if you're going to get burned. But once you try it, you don't do it again. And so that's kind of a lot of the, you know, the theory behind a lot of that is behaviors make sense that you can tell the truth when there's positive outcomes from telling the truth. You can, um, you want to change naturally and do the, when someone, when someone tells you, you have to do something. None of us want to do the right thing when we're told to do the right thing. But you yeah. might be able to expand on that better. Well, I think, I mean, I love that you bring that up because that is actually, I think one of the biggest things that really kind of helped me in um, understanding my my loved one and understanding my, my partner is that there is a, re like, behaviors make sense and understanding that there's a reason for use and each person has a reason for their use and that it's, it's not going to be the same for each person. Each person is an individual and they have their own reasons for, for use. It provides them with a, a benefit. It provides them with some sort of um, reward. And so um, that was kind of for me and looking at it in like the a whole individual sort of aspect and stating, okay, well, um, what are the reasons for his use? What are the, why does he as an individual um, drink instead of looking at it as a whole type of thing and stating, well, he just drinks because he's an alcoholic. No, that, I mean, yes, he has an alcohol use disorder, but he, he drinks for a reason. And those reasons are, are maybe even different day to day why they're um, why he, he drinks. So I think for me, it understanding that behaviors make sense. It gave me a deeper understanding and, and compassion, um, because it allowed me to see him more as a unique individual in that. Well, and I think it, it gives you like the ability to, I don't want to necessarily say replace, but if you, like for me, I used pain medicine to numb. If if I understand that I use pain medicine to numb or somebody that loves me understands that, hey, I need to numb, then maybe there's something else. If I can feel safe to say, hey, I need to numb right now because the feelings are too much, they might be able to say, well, hey, let me take you into this room away from the stimulation or let me like you know, why don't you sit here and I'll bring you some water and we don't have to talk. We can just sit here or whatever the case may be. That would be a different way to handle that situation. They understand that my behavior needing to numb is what's the problem. Let's come up with some alternate solutions that maybe are healthier than taking pain medicine. Yeah. I mean, self-awareness is what you're describing. You know, if you can have the self-awareness, and then speak about it before, you know, like reach out for support before you use, you could stop yourself. You well, and that's, a, that's a lot of what is taught during these classes is that, you know, 
giving someone a safe place to talk about things, then you kind of uncover maybe why or in the situations people can talk about it more. Like if someone drank because they were at a party, they might be able to say, I felt uncomfortable in this situation. I didn't know what to do. So I had a beer tonight. And then next time, if you talk about that with them and, you know, I understand that you felt uncomfortable, you know, and then you come up with alternate solutions. There's a chance next time. Right. They might not take the beer. And, and like you, you know, you're building that rapport too. that, that communication, you're opening those lines of communication up and broadening that, that area where, you can talk about things more openly than you used to be able to, you know, to Brittany's point in her relationship, she was describing that how much the communication has changed uh, as a result of putting those practices to use. Yeah. It's awesome. And I think it's huge. We don't teach kids how to communicate the way they're feeling. So like when I got into recovery, I didn't know how to say what I needed, or I didn't even know what the heck I needed to be able to say it. But these communication skills that they teach are great for anything. Being able to communicate your needs and talking about things. I mean, that's important for everyone, no matter what you struggle with. And isn't it cool that us learning these things, like, I don't know if you have kids, Brittany, but like I know AG does and I, I do, but, and Brett does, but we can teach our kids the stuff because we're learning it. So not only do we get to experience that learning and be like, oh, that's cool and apply it to our lives and experience the benefits of that stuff, but we can share it with our kids too and pass it along and try to maybe break generational curses, you know, in the process. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's another rewarding thing too. Like uh, we don't have any kids together, but he has um, three, three kids. And um, because of his um, alcohol use, he kind of was estranged for a little while from his kids, but recently um, he's been able to get back into contact with his, with his kids and has formulated a uh, closer connection. And we were able to um, spend, um, close to 10 days with one of his daughters and that was just a real and during those whole 10 days he didn't drink at all while she was uh, with him and that is a um, really vast improvement um, for him and so it's it's great to see the, the that change that it does make for somebody in that that's so amazing what a gift for her too. She got to have her dad like yeah. fully present. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. It's awesome. That's beautiful. We're happy that you're here and for all you do and for being able to tell a different side of it. Cause like I said, I, I never really thought about how hard my addiction was on my family until I, started seeing other families and it made me respect the support I had so much more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a meeting uh, near me. It's Saturday nights and it's uh, AA Al-Anon mixed group. And I, 
early in recovery, I found this group and I loved it. Like it as painful as it was, because it was really painful to sit there and kind of like get to hear those perspectives, get and have to hold space, you know, in a meeting environment. Somebody's got the floor, there's no crosstalk, and everybody has to listen. And you, it was like sometimes it hit me so hard listening to what people were going through from the family side, whether it was a spouse and you had a whole mixed bag in there. It was like usually 30, 40 people in there. Maybe half of them were Al-Anon people. So you had all sort, you know, a mixed bag of experiences. And it was really like life altering for me. It was mind blowing to, to hear them share their experience in that group. Um, it's important that uh, people get in touch with those things. You know, it helps us get in, in better touch with reality, really, you know, instead of our own twisted perception, our little world that we lived in and the things that we thought, well, I'm not hurting anybody but myself. And now I have to look at the reality of the situation, you know, and I see it all around me. I know it's not just me that was hurting people. Everybody's hurting everybody when they're, out in their active addiction. It's just crazy. The other thing that's like, I've always loved people in recovery, but when I first started on the recovery journey, I didn't really love people in active addiction. I'll be honest. I struggled with that. I struggled with naloxone advocacy. I struggled with advocacy for people who use drugs. Um, but through family members and hearing about their love for people in active addiction, um, it made me love people through the eyes of their family members. It made me love people who still actively use. Um, it made me have hope that there was recovery possible for people I didn't believe there was because there was people that loved them that much, then it was yeah. worth me taking a second look at them. And um, I'm grateful for the family members of the people who love people who use drugs and alcohol because they made me love them too. That is so awesome, Ashley. And it speaks to the power of, you know, staying open and continuing to further your continue your education in these areas because we fear and we hate what we don't understand so if i feel like i hate something it's weird because recovery got me to a place where i'm like hmm uncomfortable feeling and now i don't recognize it like that i recognize it like oh opportunity for growth and now i need to like learn about this subject and try to like make it make sense to me and I think it's amazing that you just shared that. Thanks for sharing that. Cause that's beautiful that it literally changed your heart, uh, especially in regards to harm reduction. Some of those practices that are maybe more controversial, you know, like love the, love the addicts, you know, like advocating for safer use, you know, let's provide them a place where they can shoot up, you know, like it sounds crazy on the surface, but is it like, they're just trying to help them live another day, man. Because maybe they'll want recovery tomorrow, right? And I, I love it, though. I love the heart change that happened to you as a result. 
I think hearing it's, stories. You know, you, you, sometimes you stop seeing them as people. And when you hear people that love them, you start to remember that even when you use drugs, you're still a person and yeah. you still have feelings and you still have just because you're struggling doesn't mean you're not a person anymore. And I think that that was a huge turning point for me is even, and once you see it, you can't unsee it, which is great and awful at the same time. Like, <laughs> you know, I, even homelessness, it's like, I used to be able to like look through the person and not really see a person. And now it's like, I've heard so many people's stories about who that person was before, or what they're struggling with or what they do after and changes they make in this. So it's every time I see someone that's homeless, I see a person now and, and not, mm. not, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's good to take time to get to hear their story. Everybody's got a story, you know? Yeah. And then you understand what causes, what's the causes and conditions? Why are they standing on the street with a cardboard sign in their hand? You know? I think it's good that you mentioned, you know, with, with that too, and even with harm reduction, because craft and invitation to change really kind of brings that to the forefront as well, that not necessarily our goal isn't about abstinence or sustaining from a drug, especially not in the beginning. It's about um, reducing the harm to a person who uses substances and um, kind of giving them the same support in that. Like, with my sister, with um, with meth and heroin, like, I mean, definitely with, with heroin, that is just, like, scary whenever she um, started doing that. I mean, even with the meth. But she ended up uh, homeless, and she has three kids, and we actually ended up at one point taking in the three kids. But um, during this, so she ended up getting... Um, off of meth and off of heroin, but she was still using um, alcohol. She was still using um, marijuana. So um, for that, that was a form of harm reduction. Yes, she was still using substances. She was still um, drinking, but um, she wasn't using heroin and she wasn't using meth. That's reducing the harm. So in that, um, I felt that safe to kind of let her come um, back into the home and so she could be with her with her kids then then and then that gave her the opportunity to be able to kind of keep growing kind of keep moving moving forward and um, eventually she got to the point where she wasn't drinking anymore she's um, now she messaged me about a week ago she had been using um, I think she said it was ketamine or something of the source like that. She'd been using some substance to kind of help. And she said that she has even stopped using it. And the only thing that she is now currently using is um, uh, marijuana. But, I mean, that's still um, a better form than what she was using previously. So she's still moving forward. She's still progressing and she's still making a lot of changes and progress. And um, just because she's not 100% abstinence or 100% 
um, sober, it doesn't mean she's not a person in recovery. She's right. still in recovery and she's right. um, continuing that process. So, yeah. And like, to your point, she's improving, like, you know, now that she's just doing marijuana, well, that's an improvement, you know, on top of her previous improvement. So she's continuing to improve and grow. And then I think I've heard it said too, that it's also about maximizing uh, the amount and the quality of the time that you get to spend with that loved one as well. If you're not always fighting a battle uh, with them, then, you know, then the time is going to be more pleasant, right? And uh, whatnot. So, because I know I remember Pam talking a lot about that uh, in her Thrive groups. You know, it's like she got to the point where it was like, what kind of what do I want the time that I spend with my son to be like, right? Like, do I want it to always be a fight? Do I want him to yell at me and slam the door because I don't accept him for who he is? Or do I want to have, you know, good a good time <laughs> with him, you know? Uh, yeah, that's a big deal. It's meeting people where they're at, giving them a safe space. We've been talking about it, you know, in different terms all night. And it's can't be enough said about the importance of that. Cause I know when I was, when I was getting high, the few people that I did go around, you know, eventually that wore thin and I didn't feel welcome or, or whatever. And I would uh, stay away. I would shy away, you know, okay. I just felt like, you know, well, I'm not going to not be high. So I guess I'm not going to go there. You know? <laughs> and you just isolate. I mean, it's a natural reaction. I think that isolation piece for us addicts and alcoholics, it's just easier to do it alone. You know, and the only people that say shit to you and make it uncomfortable are the ones that care. Right. So that's <laughs> even the worst part. It's like, Fuck, I can have a good conversation with lots of people, but, you know, they don't really give a shit about me. <laughs> and the ones that do, they're telling me I have a problem. Like, what's their problem? That's what you're thinking. <laughs> you know? What's their problem, man? <laughs> I don't have a problem. <laughs> and I mean, like I've said it like 500 times on the show, but there's nothing about being sober or clean or whatever in the definition of recovery like samsa's yes. definition of recovery is the process of change through which individuals improve their health and wellness live a self-directed life and strive to reach their full potential there's nothing in that definition that says recovery equals <laughs> sobriety and there's a lot of us that have the pathway that you know of abstinence, but that doesn't mean that that's the only pathway and that's the only way to recover. Amen. Yeah. I respect and honor all pathways. I'm like, hey, if that's like improving your quality of life, keep doing more of that. We are losing um, too many people to be yes. Nazis about recovery. <laughs> Especially lately, man. I know for me, it's crazy. I almost think sometimes I'm getting desensitized to death in, in the recovery community, and it sucks. It sucks to feel that way. It sucks to feel numb when you hear, 
or to feel like I'm not surprised or saw that coming. You know, it sucks. It really sucks. And I I think it was always happening, though. It's just when I was in my active addiction, I was in my own little world, my own little bubble, and I wasn't paying attention to the shit that was going on around me or the people in my life. Or, you know, those that I said I cared about, it wasn't, yeah, like I was just like lost in space somewhere. And now I'm like eyes wide open, you know, just fucking engaged in the community and watching it happen all around me. Well, the drug supply is so much more tainted and mixed than it's ever been before. It's it's a lot more dangerous than it previously was. And I mean, there's been a lot of people in recovery that have slipped and had a recurrence and it's one, two times and they've overdosed. And so it's, it's one of those things where you know, if, if they're doing something that gets them off of a street drug, I'm all about it. Hell yeah. Yep. Totally. Yeah. It's it's sad. I mean, I, I had to have a pep talk with myself a couple weeks ago because there was, you know, somebody else, you know, that I knew that had passed away from an overdose and I was like, did I survive so that I could watch people die? Like, is that what... <laughs> it's turned into and and i knew that i know that that's not the case but in that moment it's like you know is that what it's going to be about you know so well it'll make you angry that's for sure sometimes it'll make you angry but honestly it's like it's not i try to focus on you know can can i help one can i reach one can i teach one Right. If I can do that, awesome. That's that's what it's about. And I got to focus on those wins, no matter how small, you know, even if it's just having a chance to have a heart to heart, you know, and they go back out. You know, I try to remember, never underestimate the power of planting the seed, Uh, the importance of making people know that there's a safe space for them to turn to where they're not going to. So they're not alone. Right. Like. It's too easy for us to convince ourselves that we're alone anyway, you know? So it's important that you know that you're not alone. And without people that are willing to hold space and have a conversation without judging you or telling you what you have to do, you know, it's like, that's not going to happen. And unfortunately, there's a lot of that around. So it's super important to me to just, be cool. Treat them like a human being with dignity and respect. You know, don't be a dick. Just. And I think the huge thing that we have to remember is, is that even if it's one day, even if they find recovery for one day and the next day they go back out that day that they were trying not to use, or they use something different could have saved their life because that day could have been the day they used something, a tainted supplier could have been an overdose situation and they switched to a different substance that wasn't as dangerous. Who knows? But you know, the efforts that we're making and it, it does matter. It's true. Very true. So Brittany, have you 
like been able to do any um i don't know like how how do you spread these messages how do you train like what kind of a platforms do you use to get this information out there and have you been able to be a part of any really uh cool um like conferences or anything like that um so oh i've been the past year i've done a lot of different things i've the recovery i've wrapped um, i'm do the family caucus and so I have done some presentations with them and I've we've partnered with the partnership to end addiction and we did um, that. Um, we, uh, I have, I got on our local news network here and um, did a um, short interview there about invitation to change and craft. Uh, I volunteer at the recovery community center here in Springfield, um, working with families um, in recovery, I have um, my own um, Facebook um, page that I use, and I um, uh, use that. I have my own little podcast um, that I use to help. Um, so I have diff- a lot of different kind of avenues and stuff that I've that I've used um, to kind of help uh, with that. Uh, stuff like this, doing the uh, podcast like this, just really talking about it um, is really what I have kind of done. I've um, talked about it at, um, with my partners, um, his, um, like, they're called Synergy is what they're called. So I've kind of went in there and I've talked with them about craft and, and invitation to change and um, educated some of the therapists there Um about um craft and invitation to change as well um so those are those are some of the the things that i've kind of been working towards and doing um in that so it's awesome that's amazing well i guess we're gonna probably wrap it up here in a minute but is there anything that you'd want to tell a family member or a loved one that's struggling with you know, someone they love in active addiction or even in recovery and they're having a hard time with it. Is there something you would tell them? I think for family members, um, one of the big things that I always, I always say is that um, I know it's, I know it's hard. I know it's difficult to, to go through what you're, you're going through, but know that um, you do have the ability to help that you can make change and change does happen and that you can motivate a person who has an addiction to um, change and to get help that they seek with the right family trainings and the right uh, support in that with invitation to change and craft and giving families that hope and knowing that people do recover recovery is possible that it's a process and that change takes time. Um, that's one thing that I really kind of, even with a, that I talk about, um, even with my partner is telling him that it's a process that change takes time. Once you learn something, you don't unlearn it. You, you know, it, um, you, you may have a reoccurrence, you may have a slip in, in use, but the knowledge that you previously have is still there. It's just about making progress, moving forward and continuing to put that um, one foot 
uh, forward um, because you can change and change is possible in that. Amen. Yeah. Trust the process. That's great. Change takes time. I think that's a great thing. We didn't, you know, all of our behaviors didn't happen overnight. We can't expect them to disappear overnight. Right. Honestly, it's one of the first things they told me when I got into recovery. They said, because I was like, what the hell is wrong with me? I've been clean for 30 days and I'm still all fucked up. <laughs> They're like, yeah, yeah, and you're going to be for a while, but you punched the ticket. Now you take the ride, you know? <laughs> well, and I mean, that's a great thing. You know, they have all these like dry drunk is one of those things I have heard so many times. And it's like, why would somebody be a dry drunk? It's because they never changed. They they took away the substance, but they never changed the reason that they needed a substance or the behavior. Yeah. They didn't learn tools. They haven't learned coping mechanisms. They haven't replaced the things that they got rid of with something healthy and productive that, uh, you know, maybe soul filling. They haven't done those things. They're going to be miserable. You know, you can't just take away something that's like a huge part of a person's life and not replace it with something else and expect them not to feel anything but a void in their soul. You know what I mean? Like, that's where they're at. So, yeah, crazy. But Brittany, you've been awesome, dude. I'm so glad to meet you. Thank you for being on the show with us tonight. Well, thank you. Thank you guys for having me. I really appreciate it. And it's really great to be able to do something like this and be a voice for families and their loved ones who have an addiction. So it, I really appreciate the chance to be able to have that voice. So thank you so much for that. Thank you. Thank you for loving people like us before we are people like us. <laughs> yeah, loving us before we can love ourselves. It's so important and appreciated. Yeah. Yeah. Brett, are you gonna you gonna take us home? Oh yeah. Your turn. And I got some I got some music. I think I'm going in the right direction for Ashley. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> I'm going to crack it one day. If you guys are watching us on YouTube, please remember to subscribe to the channel. Turn on your notifications so you know when we go live, which is every Thursday night. If you guys would like to send us a message. Oh, I didn't realize this had vocals in it. That's. I'm just going to turn that down a little bit. I didn't. I downloaded this while we were on the stream. Um, Very nice. <laughs> very professional. Uh, if you guys would like to send us a voice message, you can go to the address on your screen and you can leave us a voice message that we can play on the show. Um, also, Jason has his very own podcast that he's a part of, The Way Out Podcast. When does that air, Jason? Uh, new episodes drop every Monday. And they're on any of the many plethora of platforms that you can listen to a podcast on. So, you, you know, you'll find it on almost anything anywhere. And it's they're just out there, you know, once they're released. So there's 303 episodes right now you can listen to. Have fun. Nice. <laughs> nice. And I also do my own show called Recovery Survey. I release yeah. every Wednesday 
I don't have quite as many episodes as Jason does, but I'm I have a hundred and uh, like twelve or fourteen. I don't know. There's there's still quite a few, and also our former co-host Carl Fessenden. He has a show called The Drunken Worm, and he just started up season two of his show. So if you guys aren't listening to that, be sure to do that. And you can also listen to Recovery Revolution live in the audio format on any of your favorite podcast players. So be sure to subscribe there if if the podcast is more your flavor and you don't like the video as much or you're on the go and still want to take some of that recovery content with you, be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app. Uh, we will see you guys next week. Remember, progress, not perfection. Have a good night, guys. <laughs>